Well, seriously, I, you know, my first five jobs in technology, I had stock options. It took until my sixth job working for Intel Corporation before any of my stock options actually paid off. Oh, wow. oh. This, and this is back in the 80s and 90s when we all thought we were going to become Internet millionaires, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, if I can ranch with my boyfriend right now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean. Please do. So my, Scott, are we recording? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Careful, Abby. Careful. Welcome to the Stories for Nerds podcast, where avid sci-fi and fantasy readers can connect with authors who not only enjoy writing your latest adventures, but also love to discuss the storytelling relevance and inspiration behind video games, movies, television shows, and all things popular in modern epic nerd culture entertainment. And now, with another epic episode here are your hosts for SFN. What's going on, nerds? And welcome to the latest episode of the Stories for Nerds podcast. I am Raphael M. Jordan, and I always have the pleasure of being here with Abby Goldsmith and Scott Parkin. Now, this episode is going to be a little different. As y'all could probably tell, we always have a lot of crazy banter uh, before we get started with our recordings, and we usually carry on even afterwards. So we thought it'd be pretty fun if y'all got to hang out with us a little bit and see exactly what discussions we might uh, have uh, when we are quote-unquote off the mic. So this episode, we are actually uh, following up with a couple of discussions. Uh, we actually talk about uh, our upbringings as far as our writing careers and stuff and going on from there. So when we we'll come back from a quick little break, we'll get started. We, we sound pretty good as far as like audio is concerned. Yeah, like the first three were still like you can still kind of tell it's like yeah, oh, oh those wow. guys they're they just started they're so cute. It's <laughs> not basement with a little electric condenser microphone using their mm-hmm. cassette player kishunk. Right, but but no we 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 sound like real people now. Who? Yeah, they'll never know. But I never know the trouble, the troubles like, and struggles that we go through. Here. I liked Eric's uh, comment on Facebook. That was fun. Did you yeah, see that, that when really he nice. uh, about the puppies? To this would be like not loving puppies. You yes, do love puppies, don't you? <laughs> and you love puppies, don't which you? Which is which is the tagline for today. You do love puppies, don't you? Hmm. Or something. Let me, let me think. No, let me think about. It. Let me nope. think about it. Nope. I'm going to edit it out. It's not going to be there. <laughs> you say whatever you want. I don't care. I'm going to edit it out. Ah. <laughs> I hold the power. Says, says yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I used to edit a semi-pro science fiction magazine. And uh, early in our history, before I got there, we mm-hmm. had a uh, art director who decided that they were going to make a statement and this was at BYU at the time, which is rather a conservative university. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And they had uh, slipped in a, a piece of art made entirely of naked women in different poses making up the face of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually really 
you know, fun, but it put us in bad uh, standing. <laughs> standing with the university. We had I didn't to know explain. that kind of thing happened at BYU. That's we we literally went through. You know, we were a tiny small I press operation. We printed, I think, three hundred copies. We went through with exacto knives and a, and a and a ruler and cut that page out <laughs> and inserted a replacement page because we couldn't afford to reprint it. Wow. So. Old school stuff right there, man. Oh, dude. We, this is back <laughs> in the days, yeah. This is back in the mid-80s when we used to, you know, actually still do, you know, wax light table uh, paste up. So. Yeah. And what, a copy of the original. Yeah. What magazine was this for? It was called The Leading Edge. Oh, okay. It's a little, it's a, it's been around for like 30 years. It's yeah, a, I was about to say, is it still around? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was the managing editor for like six years. Really? Four years, something like that. Holy crap, dude. Long time. That was back in the, in the you know, mid-80s, uh, early 90s. Cool. But yeah, that's how I figured out how to how to write fiction for audiences was by wow, being yeah. an editor. Yeah, that makes well. Yeah, <laughs> that makes a hell of a lot of sense. It's freaking right. awesome. Well, it was because when you read for publication, you read differently than when you read for enjoyment or when you read your own stuff just to to edit it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what happened is I started talking to to the other editors and I started to understand what the selection criteria were, and it it made a huge difference for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was always a high producing guy. Yeah, um, you know, I. As an exercise, I wrote 30 stories in 30 days. Um, Now, they were all terrible stories. That doesn't matter. (laughs) But it was. Exactly. It's exactly that idea. It's just like brainstorming for the brain and the discipline. Is to to generate and to teach myself that stories were not an act of, of, you know, mystical impingement by the muses upon your soul. Yes. Stories were (laughs) created using techniques of, of ideation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I took a week off, thought about it a little bit, worked out my story, and sold five of the next seven stories I wrote. Jeez, nice. freaking amazing. Um, I have not learned that lesson yet. I need to learn that one. Yeah, yeah like so how many words were in your stories? Approximately. At the time, they were anywhere from uh, from four to, to 10,000. Okay. So all short fiction. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've always tended to write long short fiction. So I'm, I'm struggling because <laughs> the markets okay. right now want everything around that 5k range. Right. Plus or minus a thousand. There's a few exceptions, but yeah. Or a novella at least I've noticed. Well, and what happens is they tend to reserve the longer lengths for the better established authors. Right. So yeah. there's someone trying to, still establish a name mm-hmm. I've yeah come in doing, short like, because then i can squeeze in yeah doing doing uh starting out at uh the epic epic length like uh yeah novels it, it's a gamble it's definitely gonna be a gamble. Yeah, so not to say it can't happen yeah not to say it can't happen but the odds are it's pretty tough and uh that's why i liked uh, what eric was like even mentioning like he does definitely have like the right idea about uh doing shorter lift novels and when he says shorter lift novels he means like you know around like 50k yeah because like that's definitely uh that seems to be like kind of what the market is interested in because like there's so many stories out there people want to be able to like kind of 
doubt because they wouldn't be able to like read the like the next the next story that they have on their you know on their device whether it's a phone or well and that's you know, part of it right you know. if you can produce you know five forty thousand word short novels in a year yep. your readers will appreciate it because they can keep right as the heartbeat they can keep coming back to you and getting a new story they can get a mm-hmm. new piece so you know if you can do the high production thing it's to your advantage. Just get the, get the words out there, get the stories out there. Yeah, it's just all about, well, practice really is. To me. Of course, my problem now yeah. is that I'm a high production writer who's not producing. That's a different problem. Yeah, likewise. likewise. Well, then you're not high production. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm a person with high production <laughs> skills who's not currently utilizing them. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> Like, wait. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Good I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who, who, you know, when I'm on a when I'm on a roll, I can do you know ten, twelve, fifteen thousand words a day. Well, um, and most of it's pretty good stuff because I've yeah. worked the basic skills enough now that the quality of my prose is mostly okay, uh, mm-hmm. and I edit on the fly. As a technical writer, I wrote 125 pages in 24 hours once. Um. Now it's technical sense. documentation, so it wasn't exactly the uh, you know most plot dense material, but mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. You know, yeah i I want to say like the best that I've done on a good day was, and this was because I was in a good stride because this was a scene that I had been really really anticipating for months, mm. and so when I got to that scene, I was just re- able to like just let it all out and like by the end of the day i think i was either i think i was like around seven or eight thousand and mind you this was me uh and this was in a situation where i did have like i mean eight hours to work with and stuff so right no just pretty much on average being around like one thousand to fifteen uh fifteen hundred you no know, words yeah. and an hour but Otherwise, it's just like, eh, okay, I'll do a thousand here, maybe two thousand. Hey, look, there's three thousand. Woo! No, seriously, if you can produce three k a day, you're you're yeah. kicking it, dude. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like I would say that's. Production. I oh. do that pretty easily for first drafts, but then I edit and I edit and yeah. I edit and I edit, and I'm uh, that's the habit I'm trying to kick. Um, See, that's one of the things yeah. Eric talked about last week, looking at the Chris and Dean theories. And that's why going to the different workshops is interesting because you hear different authors' ideas on it. And their but, methods. Yeah. And their methods, right? Their approaches. And part of Chris and Dean's thing is, is look, you do creative writing only. Editing passes, stop it. Because what you're doing is editing out your voice. You're editing out that which makes you unique. You start and, getting technical. Right? Yeah, you do. You start getting technical. You start refining beyond the point of useful into obsession now and i'm not saying that's what you do abby but that's that's the the risk of of being a really heavy editor is you start thinking about the ideal template rather than telling a story letting the natural story come out the way the natural story is told refining it you know you always refine but you don't rewrite per se you just make what you have a little bit better say good enough toss it in the mail and move on to the next story I gave myself two edits, yeah. two edits, two solid edits. Like uh, the first, and uh, like the first edit I go through, I am looking for like those grammatical errors and you no know, 
trying to be a little more technical about it. And then this, and while I'm doing that, I'm taking notes of like, okay, wait a minute. The pacing here is a little off. Or why is this character doing this? They should be doing this or anything. And then when I do my second run, then I'll go back and like, look over like the technical stuff and be like, okay, well let's go ahead and start changing some scenes here because it makes more sense for the, you know, for the situation to kind of fall out that way and stuff. And right. but once I get done with that second one, even if I'm even thinking like, well, dang, you know what? I should have gone back and do that. Nope. Go ahead, send it to the, send it to my beta readers, right. and they'll let me know what 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 I need to work on after that. And then once I do that, send it to a proofreader. And yeah, see, that's my great struggle right now. Is I wrote a I wrote a fantasy novel, um, fairly decent novel, I think. Uh, took it to a writing workshop with Dave Wolverton, a novel mm-hmm. workshop, and. Um, you know, his comment was, sorry that I don't have a lot of comments here. I was too busy reading, which is exactly what you want to hear from the uh, guy running, you know, from the big big name pro running the workshop. Mm-hmm. And his, his primary thing was, uh, add turtles. You need more turtles. Um, okay. And he was serious. It's a, it's a fantasy set in ancient China. So turtles are a serious part of... of ancient Chinese mythology. So yeah, it makes sense. And I understood what he was asking for. So Sorry. going through and adding turtles is not that hard. I just haven't spent the time to do it. Right. But that's a refinement okay. task because it's all creative. I'm adding something new to the piece and editing what's in there to allow the new material in rather than just refining every sentence and smoothing and adding descriptive words and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, if it was me, I'd probably go in start adding turtles and then be like, Oh, well, you know, actually this scene needs a little work. Oh, and the, no, you know, this, that other scene around it is going to need to work now. And it was, it, it was just, that's what yeah. would happen to me. Yeah. So that's how you get trapped. Yeah. Because yeah. it sounds like that's creative work, right? That you're you're reimagining scenes or refining mm-hmm. the way you're you're bringing it on, rather than I second guess myself a lot. You know, yeah. like I, I, it's like neurotically, like, like um, you know, even anyway, I, I I'm trying to to kick that habit. Well, so. and that's Dean Wesley Smith's big thing, right? Is he says, look, you've been how long have you been reading? Did you start at maybe five or six years old? You've been mm-hmm. telling stories since you were capable of stringing three words together. Yes, you were. You've been telling stories much longer experientially mm-hmm. than you've been writing them. Trust mm-hmm. your natural storyteller and go with it. And yeah. it's a it's a fair point. Well, I don't know. In my case, I mean, I started writing stories as soon as I was able to learn how to start writing basic sentences <laughs> without even realizing it. Yeah, like I started writing my first stories in the first grade. Yeah. Yeah, when I could like do p- pencils and paragraphs. I mean, they're what you call graphic novels because, I mean, of course, man, I, I like to draw and everything. So they're like little comics and stuff like that. And it was fan fiction before fan fiction had a term. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. I would like think of like all these different adventures of like my favorite uh, cartoon characters. So, of course, I mean, me mm-hmm. being wrong. Uh, my favorite cartoons were Ninja Turtles, so I had like these like different adventures with Ninja Turtles, and then of course I grew up like in the early '90s was the Sega Genesis, and Sonic the Hedgehog was the shiznit for me. <laughs> and so, and yeah, and like my whole family like knew it was like, okay, whatever you do, this this if, if it's Sonic related, he will love it. Like without a doubt. And so like I did a whole bunch of fan fiction with that and stuff, and then like. When I got into like middle school, that's when I start to kind of like be like, okay, maybe I should. 
it, some writing stories about like character. I mean, these characters that other people created, and let that's like uh, doing my like my own like original content, I guess per se. But even then, like I never like really finished the novel until well, until I was nineteen. But yeah, there, it was. I was a writer even before I realized I was a writer. See, that puts you thirty years ahead of me. Well, no, but at least you kind of realize what you were within a decent time. Like I said, I mean, I never even thought about becoming a professional writer until I was 25. But till then, it was just, it was the hobby. Well, I was on the hoe. I wanted to be a novelist since I was really young. I mean, I wrote like two novels at the age of 12, but I had a huge setback, which this is what happened. (laughs) I don't know if I ever told you guys this story. It's it's a pretty ridiculous story. Uh Okay, so like, so my mom knew an editor at Random House, and oh. yeah. <laughs> you know where and... <laughs> no, 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 no. You said all you need is to speak. It's pretty bad. So anyway, so like, yeah. So she sent the novel and didn't tell the editor that I was a kid. And um, and about a year later, we were walking through New York City. We get this call from the editor, and she's like, like, oh, I'd like to speak to Abby Goldsmith, right? So. We go to Random House. We, like, I go up to their office there, and this woman, like, she looks at me and she's like, "Oh shit!" And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" You know? And she's like, "I didn't know you were a kid." And I was like, "So?" You know? And she's like, "Well, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I, I want to like, I'm gonna like revise what I was gonna say and re- rewrite what I, like the rejection letter I was gonna send you." And I was like, "Oh no, I can handle it. I'm an mature thirteen year old. I'm very mature." And so she was like all right kid right and she like <laughs> so she gives me the most scathing rejection letter i still have it it's like all printed oh. out she's like this sounds like it's written by a retarded person it's actually written yep she <laughs> oh <laughs> Abby. Now, yeah and so mind, she thought she was dealing with an adult who she did who, so you know your 13 year old <laughs> self oh would observe and yeah. phrase things differently than a normal yes one of her regular contributors would, but ow. Yeah. It oh. was, yeah, it's a really risky rejection letter. And so at that point, you know, and then she sent me a follow-up saying, well, we could work with you and you know, like, we could work at the child angle or whatnot. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I, I can't be a writer. That's it. No. <laughs> so I didn't write until I was like 20. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. That would be good. I tell you, what. it would in New York and having the editor basically say, "Yeah, you're right, like a retarded person." Back when that was still a thing that they said. But apparently. when you could say that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, Holy dude. crap! I am so sorry. Oh, it's all right. It's a funny story. To now. you for coming back to it. Uh, I know, right? That's what, I know. I was going to ask. It's like, well, was there a, a momentary period where you were just like, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, the whole thirteen to twenty or so. Um, during that period, I, I drew comics. Like, so I'd sit in my in school and draw comics, but I, I let other people write the comics. Like, I'd be like, oh, like my friend Eric, like you write the comics, I'll draw them. And, okay, um, so you're Yeah, and and like when I went to animation school, like like you know you you would people write and produce their own short films, right. mm-hmm. and so I was doing that there. But I was like, well, you know, clearly I, I can't be a writer. Um, 
but like my the films did pretty well and then i was like well maybe like i can try writing a story like i'll just try it really like you know See how it really works. tentatively and yeah and like my early stories got a lot of praise like like when i was mm-hmm. 20 21 22 23 and mm-hmm. so that that got the writing bug rekindled for me okay yeah. <laughs> it, all, it all worked out it all worked out in the end Wow. It did. I, I don't. I don't regret it now. Like uh, I kind of joke now that if yeah, you if that had worked out, about it, yeah, I'd be Chris Paolini. I'd probably be this like really insufferable thirteen year old. Like, well, I'm I'm like better than Tolkien. So like, <laughs> 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 like you know, I'd be saying that. <laughs> so. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Mm-hmm. So Interesting where everyone's like background from for writing came from. <laughs> Well, no, no, okay. seriously. So let's that's tell pretty... a story, right? I didn't start writing fiction until I was 18, 19, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. I went and saw the movie The Dark Crystal. And I was so frustrated. You're 18 when The Dark Crystal came out? Yes, that's how old I am. Yes. The joke continues. When I saw it in the theater over okay. Christmas Day, when I was 18, just before I turned 19 in the following March, I went and saw The Scott, Dark Crystal. I was this year old. <laughs> Whatever, I was like five. And it was so beautiful. Raphael wasn't born yet. His parents were like 18. And it was... <laughs> and it left out so much story. I sat down immediately and began writing the story oh. that I should have been. And of course uh-huh. what I wrote was absolutely hideous drack. Uh, it, yeah. it was the worst, you know, self-indulgent poop you've ever seen. Skexies. <laughs> But I tried, and, and it just kind of caught, and there you go. 30 years later, I'm still trying. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? This, this is this is kind of fun. I think, I'll, I think I'll hold on to this. Awesome. You got the yeah. bug. You got the bug. Well, it wasn't, and I discovered the, the, right, the Leading Edge magazine on BYU campus there. I was a student at BYU that year. I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered the uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything Symposium they do there every year. I actually mm. went to what turned out to be Card Con 1. Um, Who? Orson Scott Card. Oh! Um, oh! Oh! Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. That, that's a long and interesting conversation to have, because I have found, personally, Scott Card to be a really cool human being. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I've never, I've never been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Just, he has. Speaking of the the Paolini effect, he has a firm belief in his own skills and his own correctness, mm-hmm. and is willing. Uh, and in fact, takes entertainment in arguing with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think he does it to excess. He wants to win the conversation, For and, a and that competitiveness i think takes him over some lines of of propriety now and again and he is he's an unreasonably smart person and he's Uh, actually a really kind person when you catch him on on the right terms yeah i mean i you know i said i watched when i think i've told this story on here before but he was at byu uh for the for the life the universe and everything Mm mm-hmm doing a book signing and there must have been, you know, 
800 people lined up. I mean, it was a huge line. Because this is back when, when right after he had released uh, uh, Speaker for the Dead, and was getting mm-hmm. ready to do Xenocide. So his, his popularity was at its absolute peak. Uh, all-time high, yeah. Um, and the people from BYU came and said, hey, look, we need to close this down. So, you know, could you tell these people to go away? And, and Scott said, no. These people are here to, to see me, and I'm going to spend as much time with every person as they want to spend. I don't care what your cleaning schedule requires. I'm going to do what is necessary. And he did. Mm-hmm. He sat there for three more hours, deep into the night, signing books and talking to every single person in that, in that line. Aww. And uh, he is. He's, he's, he's an incredibly talented guy. But, yeah, I just disagree with him on certain things. I think he... I think he states opinions stronger than is useful sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I also happen to disagree with some of those opinions, but that's okay. He's Scott Card, and I'm nobody. So, you know. Please. Scott, you're like the most famous person on this podcast. Well, what's funny, <laughs> so that, that very same thing, right? Because he and I are about the same height, and sadly, we're about the same size. Uh, just a little over six. He's years. tall? Oh, oh. He's, he's, he's tallish. He's, oh, okay. He's over six foot. Um, and I had a mustache, and he had a mustache. My name is Scott. He's called <laughs> Scott. <laughs> so there's this one guy who was following <laughs> me around with a copy of Ender's Game saying, hey, would you sign my book? No. Oh, come on. Please sign my book. No. I'm not going to sign your book. I'm not who you think I am. No, that's okay. I won't tell anybody. Who you think I am? Like no, 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 you don't understand. I I understand all about pseudonyms and things. That's okay. I won't tell anybody. So finally, after three days, this guy following me around with a copy of Ender's Game. Oh, big guy with a mustache named Scott. I must have been the card. The card. So I finally signed this book, and I because at the time he, he used to do this big O and then sign his name inside of it. So I wrote this big O and then signed my name inside of it. So somewhere out in the world, there is a 30-plus-year-old copy of Ender's Game autographed by Scott R. Parkin. <laughs> oh, <Yay>. no. <laughs> oh, no. And this person thinks that he has... I have no Aww. idea. Like, a crown... Hey, they'll yeah. think it. They'll think it. But, yeah. oh, my God. What if he starts... Oh, geez. What if he says it to, like, his kids and his kids send it to their kids and... Oh, that's what you worry about, right? Because my, yeah. my signature has no actual letters in it, right? It's one of those stylized scribbles. So, Scott, Scott, you gotta get famous. Looking. You gotta get famous. Yeah, that's, yeah. You're obligated to this person. So that signature becomes worth something someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of the the nineteen early nineteen nineties <laughs> website that was like guys named Stephen King that aren't him. Yeah. Oh. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> like the representative anyway. from Iowa. Yeah. Wait. Uh, Iowa? Iowa? Isn't I'm that where here. he's from? Stephen King? Yeah, I was about to say, is that where he's actually from? No, Stephen, uh, King, Stephen the, King, the, the author, is from uh, Maine. Yeah, he's from Maine. He's not yeah. from Iowa. No. No, <laughs> no the congressman, <laughs> Steve King. Okay, well, uh, I don't keep track of all the different Stephen yeah, Kings. Yeah, I, yeah. I just remember there was that website, and it was full of, it was like, it was in the 1990s. It was one of the first websites I ever ran across that was like kind of funny. Yeah, I remember that. Like, kind of like I was just like a little kid looking online, and I was like, "There's all these people like my name is Stephen King, and here's my story of how I got mistaken for the author." 
And like, <laughs> it was just like one after another. Anyway. You know, I was really late to that website too. Like, I didn't hear about that until like the like the like the mid two thousands. Oh, whatever. You were probably like a three year old at the time. Oh, stop, man! <laughs> <laughs> you probably were, honestly. He was like, six. like, come on, give him credit. You were born in when like nineteen ninety, right, or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> you were born I in two thousands, were you? Come on, man. <laughs> born in ni- nineteen eighty nine, eighty five. Okay, so you would have been like seven or eight, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, that's too I, young for Stephen King. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But I'm just saying that I was, I was, I was that last generation that knew what it was like to grow up without the internet. Because I was 11 when the internet started to become a thing. Yeah, I was like, a, I was like in fifth or sixth grade. Well, and so we was I, but, but um, but we were using for me that that was QLink. It wasn't like AOL. That was like the precursor. <laughs> the, the precursor. No, I mean like when. No, I mean like like literally like right when like the like everyone was like talking about the internet. Why everyone wanted to get on the internet? It was like uh, when Yahoo was a thing. Sorry, Yahoo. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was in um high school. Like, <laughs> Sorry, Yahoo. <laughs> Okay, so let me ask you yeah. a question. Have you ever heard of a search <laughs> engine called Alta Vista? No. Of course. Oh, gosh, yeah. How Sorry. Like yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Too young? Okay. See, I was 16 so. when the IBM PC <laughs> came out, so, you know. Raphael, okay. have you ever heard of a Commodore 64? Oh, yeah. Yeah? How about the Trash 80? Sorry, TRS 80. The TRS 80. Uh-uh. Radio Shack, it was the most popular computer in the world. Behind only the Apple. Oh, okay. Back when Radio Shack made computers. Radio Shack used to make. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I set up now. <laughs> uh, we we were like the, one of the first families to have any internet access whatsoever. Um, all my friends would come over to my house to use. The, they'd be like, oh, like, hi, Abby, okay, I'm going to go downstairs and use your Commodore 64, is that all right? And I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. 1985, 1986, I bought a Mygent pocket modem that was 1,200 baud. 1,200 baud. Can you imagine that kind of speed? Dude, I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't. I like my That's dad was the nerd. I, I would second. just, I just Wait, like what? press the button. That's about <laughs> half a k per second. Yeah. Well, that's real fast. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure back then it was very back then it was yeah because people were still using 300 baud modem. Yeah. Well, I remember um, we like so this was like in 1990 or so. A boyfriend that my my boyfriend that I was like 13 bought a ray tracing program. And so he was like, I'm going to render a 3D sphere because Tron had just come out. And he's uh, like, I'm going to render 3D graphics on my Commodore 64. And I was like, great, let's do it. And so, like, you know, he, like, I remember it started to render. We went to, like, a hockey game. We came back. It was, like, six hours later, and it had rendered, like, one row of pixels. Yep. And it, it was like, boop. <laughs> oh my and I was like, I was like okay, I'll come back in a week, you know? And it, I guess his computer kept crashing and it, he just it couldn't handle it. But 
anyway, it was pretty funny that, that they were trying. I mean, we were trying so hard to render a spear. Oh, man. Well, you you had to start somewhere. I, I can't wait till I can't wait till we get to that point where we talk about how small terabytes are. Oh, because you know, honestly, I think we're honestly, I think we're almost even getting to that point because um if these new consoles are coming out, yeah. uh and everyone's like talking about 4K, 4K, everything's 4K. And the the memory that these games require, uh they're like uh over a hundred gigabytes. And of course, when you're talking about a terabyte, a hundred gigabytes is gonna fill up a terabyte pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. So everyone's talking about okay, well, my hard drive has a hundred ter I mean one terabyte, it has or or two terabytes. And remember when we first heard about that, it was like, Oh my god, there is no way that we could possibly use that up. This thing's gonna to last us forever. And now it's just like, eh, no, joke's on you. No, I actually yep. had a conversation with my daughter today where I slipped into old old terms because I was talking about uh, uh, a machine that I had seen that had a, a three-terabyte hard drive on it. But mm -hmm. my brain flipped, and I said gig. Oh. So it's got a three-gig hard drive on it. And <laughs> I was thinking terabyte, but I said gig. <laughs> and remember, I'm from the days when we used to measure everything in K and Meg. So, right. Right. <laughs> right. My first computer had 128K of RAM in it and no hard, no fixed storage. Two floppy right. drives. That was it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, oh. and now my computer's like 4 million times as much RAM and, and 12 million times as much hard drive space because I've got a two terabyte striped array on it. Um, yeah. You know, and that's a nine-year-old computer. Yeah, and I was about to say, and granted, I mean, the computer that I have, gosh, how old is mine? Um, I got it back in 2011. So by, you know, computer standards, that is, like, pretty old, and I got one and a half terabytes on it. But the thing is, I'm not using it for anything extensive. I just use it to... You know, save my stories. The biggest things that I save are my illustrations. And my illustrations might get up to maybe 500 megabytes at tops. <laughs> so, so yeah, when I look at to see like how much stores I have, Tiny. you know, yeah, those people who say, oh, well, this thing could last you forever. In my circumstance, the way I use computers, yes. I, awesome. I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'll be pretty fine for the most part. Back when I was... But, huh? Sorry, I gotta say, back when I was new in the industry, 1986, mm -hmm. I was reading a Macworld magazine that was talking about huge hard drives. You know, and had those giant, uh, you know, nuts that they use like on railroads and and constructing buildings and things. Mm -hmm. um, and they were talking about hard drives with 80 to 100 megabytes of capacity, which at the time were considered unreasonably huge. No human could ever fill that much space. Oh, I could. They were work group. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Do that in one second. Right now, this could be two minutes. Okay, there. done. Yeah, right. I render videos all day. Yeah, yeah. Videos take up a huge chunk of stuff. Absolutely. I no, I remember. I, even when I was in college, even when I was in college and we had flash drives and I had a 512 uh, you know, flash drive and I was just like, man, this thing. I'm I'm so good. This is gonna last me for college. 
what? <laughs> it's just crazy how, how, how much memory is, is taken up nowadays and stuff. Well, and it, keeping in mind that Moore's Law has kept up to date throughout the entire computer industry from the mid-60s, where we double mm-hmm. the number of, of transistors every 18 months. Yeah. Well, We've been doing good. that for 40 years, yeah. guys. We need that. Oh. We do. If this trend continues, it means that in the not-too-terribly-distant future, you know, keeping in mind that your average microwave oven has as much computing power as NASA's computers in 1969. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Hate to well, say hell, it. The, the, the gadgets and devices that we have in our pockets are more powerful. Than oh, guaranteed the... your cell phone is more yeah. powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Significantly more. Significantly more. Right. So I wonder when we're going to get to that point where we actually start when we actually reach using a Google Byte, because you no, know, no one ever, no one really knows what a, what Google is, but Google's actually like it's a, it's like a, it's a measurement, it's like a, it's a number, and I actually looked it up one time, like uh, how 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 many digits are in a Google? I can't even remember off the top of my head, but I was just like, my son, I was like, <laughs> well, don't they start using flop? They're like it's a Google flop. <laughs> well, well, yeah, pretty much you have to go to the. X times X times X times X power, basically, because right. it's just like, holy, are you serious? I want a Google flop. <laughs> a Google flop. <laughs> well, keeping it a megabyte was a million bytes. A gigabyte. I would get behind that, Abby. I would get behind that. <laughs> we are Google, Google flop. flop. <laughs> yeah, you, like you think they come up with a sexier name for like a really big number? They're like, it's a flop. Floating like, who came up with that? Who's going to keep measuring in floating point operations? Oh. Google flop. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what happens when you have dorky people naming things. But that would be fairly quick, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's our fault. <laughs> Keeping in mind that the second largest computer company on planet Earth is called Google. Oops. Yeah, right. Well, Google now is acceptable, you know, but flop, nobody has, you You know, it's going to start getting flops. ridiculous. Flops and MIPS, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, br- bring, bring back the flops. Bring back the flops. See, They've been on hiatus for too long. I'm all about teraflops now, right? And pretty yeah. soon we'll be talking about petaflops, yes. and then we'll be talking about whatever comes after peta. I don't remember. Hey, Microsoft believes in the flop, and so should you. <laughs> Mic drop. Macroflops. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Storage for Nerds podcast. Hey, I'm Rafael and Jordan. Y'all keep thinking big on Collective Low. This is Abby and Scott also signing off.